0: Hello everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is John Fairchild and I formerly was a pastor with Grace Community Church for many years and recently retired. And uh, you're probably wondering what am I doing up here this morning? So let me tell you. Uh, Usually it's our lead pastor, Todd Cantillon, who's here giving the message. But uh, to put it simply, uh, as of earlier this week, Todd ceased to be lead pastor at Grace. Uh, The parting of our ways was sudden and has caught us all off guard. And we're coming to terms with it and we'll be doing so for some time to come, I believe. For those of you who uh, don't know me, um, as I said, I was a former pastor and now I'm just a a happily uh, embedded member in uh, Grace Community Church. Uh, And uh, because I'm retired and have some extra time, I was able to help fill in here Uh, this week and give the message. Uh, If you're wondering, am I coming out of retirement? The answer is no, I like it. And I'm just trying to help out here where I can. Going forward, uh, we hope to assemble a small team of individuals who can take turns giving Sunday messages, sharing their hearts and God's word with the congregation as we go through the important process of healing and regrouping as a church and waiting on God to show us the way forward. I'm aware that this is a very important message uh, that I'm giving this morning. And believe me, uh, I've come here in fear and trembling today. I thought I needed to give a message about how to get through this difficult moment that our church is in. But then I thought about that some more and I thought, no, it's more than that. It's not just about how to get through. Rather, we need to learn to hear from God and learn and grow in response to this pivotal moment that we are experiencing. How do we respond and learn from it and grow through what is going on? This is no surprise to God, although it's a surprise to us. The message that I give today cannot, of course, cover nearly everything that would ever need to be covered. But I would like to take today to address four simple things that I hope and pray will be helpful to us as a congregation at this time. The first point I'd like to make is to talk about honor and to giving honor where honor is due. Uh, The passage that I'm going to refer to to help develop this point is in 2 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, it occurs uh, just after King Saul and his son, Jonathan, were killed in a battle with the Philistines. In those days, the enemy of Israel were the Philistines. Remember David and Goliath? Goliath was a Philistine. And, uh, and uh, that happened sometime before, but they were still warring on and off with the Philistines. And uh, King Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in a certain battle on Mount Gilboa. David did a classy thing and he took up a lament and all eyes were on David because they knew that someday he would be their king. How would he react at this moment? And uh, it wasn't a moment for anything other than lament and reflection and to give honor to his king. His king who hadn't necessarily treated him very well, if you know the story. Jonathan was David's very best friend in all the world. And we'll hear about that as we read David's lament. But uh, in the lament, It was chiefly written by a warrior, David, about two other warriors and colleagues of his King Saul and Jonathan. And he honors those men who are no longer leaders in Israel. And so in keeping with that, I would, as my first order of business today, uh, want to honor Todd, who was our leader for four and a half years and is no longer our leader now. Still honor is very important. Um, let's just do a quick flyover of the, of the passage that we'll read. It's about 10 verses long. Uh, it's, a, it's a lament. And uh, a lament uh, is a sad expression of how a person is feeling. Usually it's written out. Many of the Psalms are laments. And they're expressions of grief or anger or confusion. And it's such a healthy thing to be able to express how you feel to God and let God take it and heal you in response. And so this is David doing the very same thing again. And in a sense, all of Israel is listening. David, I think made this into a song and he taught it to uh, various people to sing uh, so that Saul and Jonathan would not soon be forgotten. He didn't dwell upon Saul's failures or his conflict between them. He cited only Saul's accomplishments and what he was good at, and he honored him and Jonathan in a very public way. Let me give you an overview of what we're going to encounter as we read through David's uh, lament. He's he's going to use the phrase, how the mighty have fallen, three different times. You can watch for that as we read it. That's kind of a refrain that he keeps returning to. to. He addresses two cities nearby, the city of Gath and the city of Ashkelon. Uh, And they were Philistine cities. And he says, don't tell this news in Gath, don't tell the news of Saul and Jonathan's death in Ashkelon, lest they hear it and rejoice. In in essence, he's saying, I couldn't bear to hear them rejoicing over Saul and Jonathan's death. Uh, he, He talks to Mount Gilboa in a poetic form And, uh, and he, it's almost as if he blames Mount Gilboa because that's where it happened. That's where Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. And he says to Mount Gilboa, may the dew not fall on you anymore. May that not rain upon you anymore. May no more grain fall upon you because of what you in a sense allowed to happen there. He, uh, he speaks of Saul's shield that won't be oiled anymore. Uh, after a battle, the warriors would come back and oil their shields so they wouldn't rust. But Saul's shield is now lying, rusting out on the battlefield. He speaks of Saul and Jonathan as great warriors. Uh, uh, He speaks of how Saul provided good things for the people of Israel, uh, luxurious things. We'll read about that. And then lastly, he speaks of his very special and deep love relationship with Jonathan. There's a great... Loving bond that grows between warriors when you're in the battle, uh, protecting one another's lives and facing the enemy, and that comes out here in David's love for Jonathan. So allow me to read this uh, passage of honor that Saul that, that is d- given by David, Second Samuel chapter one verse seventeen. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and ordered that the men of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jasher. Jashar was just another book, not a biblical book, we containing records of some of the history of Israel. Here's what he wrote. Your glory, O Israel, lies slain on the heights, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. O mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain nor fields that yield offerings of grain. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and gracious, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan, lie slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen, the weapons of war have perished. Just a couple of words of honor for Todd. Todd left his mark in many ways on Grace Church. Everything from physical, material things like our building, chairs, furniture, decor. Todd had opinions and made things move and get better in those areas. Technological improvements happened under his leadership and ideas. Getting people involved in new ways in the church was a wonderful legacy he left. Getting them serving on new teams. I honor Todd, especially for his good and joyous marriage that he and Nikki portrayed uh, among us and their family of four great kids, Jordan, Saul, Sam, and Zoe. Unfortunately, there were, as the board's letter put it, so succinctly, there were different expectations between Todd and the leadership board regarding leadership and the overall future of Grace Community Church. And we ended up concluding that we couldn't continue forward together. But we at this moment, honor all that was good and the man that led us for the past four and a half years. The second thing I'd like to talk about comes from 2nd Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 7. It's just a little phrase that it's good for us to keep in mind as we journey through this part of our church's life. <clears throat> Paul in 2nd Corinthians 4 is talking about the, the gospel how wonderful it is and the face of Christ and discovering the glory of God in Christ and and, uh, just what a great treasure the gospel is. And then he speaks this verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, but we have this treasure, this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. What he's saying there is that there are powerful things happening in the world because of the gospel. But it's not us. We're just jars of clay. It's all God. And, uh, and God arranged it that way to show where the power really comes from. So my point is here now is that it's good for us to remember who we are and what we're like in moments like this. And to use the phrase from this verse, we are jars of clay. Uh, Households had different kinds of utensils and jars in those in those days, of course, and suppose in our own day as well. There would be uh, perhaps a really rich household might have gold pouring utensils and silver bowls and and uh, and things like this. Uh, And uh, if you dropped one of those metal uh, beautiful vases on the floor, it wouldn't break it just bounced and you could put it back on the table. But a jar of clay was different. And that was what was in most normal average homes. Clay, as you know, is just hardened mud. And we are jars of clay. We're fragile. If you drop a jar of clay, it'll shatter and you need to go get a new one. So jars of clay speak of weakness and fragility. And let's remember that's our state today in our current troubles. I recall a story in Acts 15. Acts is a record, 28 chapters long, of the growth of the early church and the spread of the gospel throughout the Mediterranean area. The journeys of Peter and Paul and Barnabas and Silas and and others. Acts is full of wonderful things. <laughs> just, just, it's, it's so exciting to read all the amazing things that God was doing. <clears throat> and, and we come to chapter 15, about halfway through the book of Acts, and there's a story that just seems out of place. It shocks us. When I, when I first read it, I thought, I don't like this story. I wish it wasn't here. I love hearing about the apostles' moving and doing miracles and preaching the gospel and churches being planted and people coming to Christ and lives being changed and demons being cast out and mir- miracles of healing and, and, uh, and the, the gospel was just spreading like wildfire all through the Mediterranean area. It's all positive and joyous and wonderful and overcoming opposition and then we get to a short little story at the end of Acts 15 where two very prominent leaders of the early Christian church Paul and Barnabas had a falling out strangely we picture the early christians as so united and yet we read that paul and barnabas had in the in the words of the text a quote sharp disagreement and they couldn't come to agreement about an issue and they actually parted ways and saw paul went one way and barnabas went another way The issue was about a young man named John Mark who had accompanied Paul and Barnabas on an earlier missionary journey. And halfway through the journey, when the going got tough, John Mark deserted them and went home. He was afraid and frightened and intimidated by all the opposition, I guess. And uh, Paul looked upon that as not a good quality. Uh, So when they were gonna go on another missionary journey, uh, they were packing their suitcases and gathering their team and Barnabas brought John Mark into the room and Paul said, uh, he can't come. And Barnabas said, well, yes, we need to give him another chance. We need to help him, you know, get back on track. And Paul was so adamant because of his values of commitment and strength. And this is going to be tough. And, and we can't have people deserting us that he said, John Mark can't come. Jonathan, er, sorry, uh, Barnabas, with his tender shepherd's heart said, I want him to come. I'll look after him, but they couldn't agree. And they parted ways. It was a sad, shocking moment. Two leaders breaking up like this. Why is that story in the book of Acts? First of all, I would simply suggest because it's the truth. The early church were jars of clay just like us. And the the book of Acts is not photoshopped or highly edited to edit out all all that kind of stuff. There it is. And we see ourselves in it. That's important to be able to see. uh, the second reason is to remind us, I think, that like Paul and Barnabas, we are all quite imperfect and capable of doing things that bring sadness to God's heart. Two quick things before we leave this story. First of all, when Paul went one way and Barnabas went another way with John Mark, God continued to use both of them. They weren't thrown on the junk heap. God was still at work, redeeming their stories, redeeming their, their, their mistakes and turning it for good. God works all things together for good that those that love him. And, uh, and so uh, later on in the, in the epistles, we find out that John Mark actually came back to Paul and was his personal assistant, trusted by Paul and was recovered uh, and uh, rehabilitated, you might say, uh, to, to uh, be much more trustworthy. How did that happen? I suspect that Barnabas with his shepherd's heart mentored and helped John Mark get back on track again. So God used Barnabas with his shepherd gift. He continued to use Paul with his apostolic gift and the gospel continued to spread. That can be true of all of us to this very day. Why is this story included? Why does Paul remind us that we are all jars of clay? Perhaps to humble us and remind us of who we are and to predispose us to deal with one another with gentleness and with mercy and to restrain our judgmental impulses. Never lose sight of the fact of our fragility and our fallenness and how much we need the Spirit of God to be filling us from day to day. Let us learn from this story and from this truth about jars of clay and apply it in our current circumstances here at Grace. Where we have recently seen yes indeed we are the third point i'd like to talk about is just over the page in second corinthians to second corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10 Uh, and there's just four words in this verse that i'm looking at paul is talking about his life and all of the ups and downs and the good things and the bad things and and darkness overlaid with light and hard times and And uh, and, and all of the battles and stuff. And at one point, he describes his life as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. At one point, I almost wanted to corner Paul, if I could, and say, Paul, make up your mind. Are you sad or are you happy? Are you sorrowful or are you rejoicing? Which is it? Then I realized that the Christian faith and the Christian life and all of the Christian truth allows us to feel both of those contradictory emotions at the same time. We have reason to be sorrowful in our lives sometimes, and yet there's still an underlying joy, and that's very important. We here at Grace in May of 2021, have reason to be sorrowful these days because of loss, because of pain, because of broken dreams and setbacks, because of a lot of weariness, because we're not where we want to be, and probably because we know we're not who we want to be as well. But you know, it's important to sorrow and grieve and to be in no hurry to get it over with because to grieve well is to heal well. The creator gave us tear ducts and he expects us to use them when we need them. But we don't like to sorrow and we don't like to grieve, especially in our culture, there's a big emphasis on being chipper and positive and happy all the time. And uh, sorrowing seems to be some kind of weakness and nothing could be further from the truth. Sorrow seems scary, it seems dark, it's unhappy, and we're fearful of going there. Why are we fearful of going there? We fear we might go there and never come out. I might plunge into this abyss of sorrow and just languish there the rest of my days. Listen to this. A couple of years ago, I watched a documentary, uh, not Netflix or somewhere like that. <clears throat> and um, it was uh, about a place in, uh, I think it was Belize, somewhere down Mexico, Central America area there somewhere. And uh, it was about a set of amazing underwater caves along the edge of the ocean on the eastern, on the eastern coast. And, um, and they, they discovered these caves and scuba divers would go into them and they discovered a labyrinth of, of channels and tunnels and huge caverns under filled with 80, 100 feet full of salt water from the ocean. And, uh, and so they started to explore these caves and, and, uh, and yet the fear would be if you as a scuba diver, I'm not a scuba diver, but I would never go into one of those dark caves. You know why? Be, because... I I would take a wrong turn. I'd go down a wrong channel or tunnel or something and then take another wrong turn. I'd never find my way out. We fear that in sorrow, don't we? The way that they were able to explore those caves as scuba divers was very simple. They had a strong cord or rope of some kind, and they would tie it around at the mouth of the cave. They would tie it around a very large stable solid rock, tie a good solid knot, And then they would have hundreds of meters of of line and they would just unravel it as they swam through this labyrinth of caves deep into the darkness uh, and, and exploring all the wonders and the amazing things that they found in there. And they truly found amazing things. But you never would have gone in there if you were not certain you could come back out again. The tether line was the key. You just followed it back out and everything was fine. So when you know you can come out, you can actually get more out of going in and being in there for whatever purposes there are. Same thing with sorrow. We're afraid to go in there but there is a way out of sorrow and that is the joy. Paul said sorrowful yet always rejoicing. There's an underlying deeper joy in the Christian life and it's, that's all tethered to the gospel. That's tethered to the cross and the empty grave and the things that those events make possible. Uh, those things affect our past and give us an ability to look upon our past being forgiven with joy. It's wonderful. They affect our present. I'm a child of God because of Christ and all that he's done. And that's a joyous thing that will last forever. There's security there. And they certainly affect our future, the coming reign of Christ, the coming of finally of justice and righteousness and peace into this world gives me a joyous anticipation of the future. But all of those things, if you follow all of those threads and those trails back, They go back to Christ when he was here in the gospel. A Christian has a life that should be marked with joy, a deep down joy. There will be moments of sorrow on the surface and those things will hurt and they will penetrate deeply into our hearts sometimes. But Paul says, there's always joy. Just dig down a little deeper and find it. And so being able to grieve well and sorrow well and to go in there and learn what we need to learn and to be able to heal and wash our souls clean with our tears is very very important hang on to that line that's tethered to the joy that's in christ and we can heal more readily and in a healthy way let's keep tethered at this time here at grace to Christ, our joy. He spoke of making our joy full. Let's keep tethered to him as we go through for a while the valley of sorrow. Lastly, I'd like to suggest that this is a time to examine our hearts. And I mean that, examine our hearts, take a look inside what's going on there. We can go through days, weeks, years of our life without proper examination because we're so distracted by so many other things. Examine our hearts, be still, and listen carefully to God's still small voice. I truly believe he has things to speak to us as individuals and as a collective body at this time in our history. We need to pay special attention to the fundamental core elements of the Christian life and Christian discipleship. Scripture's full of them. We need to take another careful look and apply them to our lives right now. There's no need at the moment to rush out now, like chickens with our heads cut off, and come up with a whole bunch of brand new goals and strategic plans and five-year vision. All in due time, those things have their place. But I think now is a time to settle and a time to listen to each other, to God. It's a time to sit at the Lord's feet like Mary when Jesus visited their house. It's a time to examine our hearts and pray and heal. It's a time to focus on the core fundamentals tell you a story when I was uh, I think I was 26 quite a while ago and uh, our church was young and full of young people uh, a lot of university students and uh, the summer was coming up and we were planning a planning an outreach in northern Ontario we were going to put together a team of about 20 of us and uh, hop in our old cars and load it up with our luggage and head north for eight weeks. And we had chosen on the map, after praying about it quite a bit, four different communities to go to, Kirkland Lake and Timmins and a couple of others. And, uh, and so we, uh, I was part of a scouting team and there were about six of us young guys and we, we headed up uh, in the springtime to find places where our team could stay later on in the summertime. And we wanted to find churches where we could uh, live in their church basement and use their kitchen and cook and sleep on the floors and then do outreach all day long. Uh, you know, uh, street evangelism and handing out tracks and knocking on doors and singing downtown and, and uh, all, all kinds of exciting evangelistic types of activities two weeks in each of these four towns. We were really excited. And uh, so on our scouting trip, we were heading north and we stopped, I believe it was in Aurelia. Uh, One of the guys on the team knew a a family an older gentleman and his wife whose name uh, I can't remember except I think his name was Alan so we didn't have phones and iphones and stuff where you could text ahead or call ahead so we just dropped in at lunchtime how considerate is that and his wife was so gracious invited all of us boys in and uh, made sandwiches and served us tea and we all sat in the living room with this older Christian man named Alan and it soon became apparent that uh, he had a lot of wisdom. He listened to us. He watched us chatter excitedly about our upcoming mission. We were telling him all about it and all the things God was going to do and, and, uh, and all, all that sort of stuff. You know, just a bunch of young men full of energy and vim and vigor. And, uh, and he would smile and listen. And finally, as we were having our tea, he said, uh, boys, I have something to tell you. Something I'd like to share with you. And we all thought, oh, this is great. And uh, he said, uh, come closer. So we all just shuffled our chairs a little closer to where he was sitting in his chair. We kind of felt like we were in the presence, kind of felt like we were young Jedi warriors and he was Obi-Wan Kenobi or something, like he was gonna impart some deep wisdom to us. Well, in fact, he did actually. He said, boys, it's been great to have you here and to know what your plans are and all that you plan to do. He said, I'd like to share with you two words that I'd like you to remember as you go forward in the Christian life. I commend you for what you're planning to do, but would you please remember these two words? Each word has two letters. It's easy to remember. We all kind of looked at each other and thought, well, this is, this is, this is interesting. He said, the words are B.'" and do. Sums up the Christian life, boys. Be and do. He's talking about fundamentals. He says the New Testament is full of encouragements and commandments to be gentle, be kind, be like Christ, be filled with the Spirit, be humble, Be united, be patient. He said, it's all about who you are and how you let God's spirit have access into your soul to change you to be what God wants you to be in this world. He said, boys, don't go out and try to do a lot of stuff. If you've never taken the time to be what you should be. He said, if you go out and do all kinds of things for God and for his glory, but you forget to be in his presence and be at his feet, it'll all turn to dust and it won't last long. I think at this time in our journey, we all need to be at his feet to let Christ minister to us and guide us, show us what's ahead. He did tell us also, don't spend all your time being. There's a lot of doing to do in the Christian life. There are things to do and people to serve and the gospel to spread and, and, and all kinds of things. He said, it's a matter of having being and doing both in an effective balance in your life. We humans tend to get out of balance, right? We get all mystical and all we do is be, or we get all hyperactive and all we do is do. We need them both, kind of a rhythm, breathing in, breathing out. Let's breathe in and breathe out now, as a church at this time in our history. So to wrap up. In this present hour that we find ourselves, let's give honor where honor is due, as David did to his departed leaders. Let's humbly remember, and I mean really remember, that we are jars of clay. And let us deal with one another therefore with patience And mercy let us not fear to sorrow and grieve well and keep a firm hand on the tether that leads to that gigantic rock called Christian joy and lastly let's keep being and doing well balanced in our lives I really thank you for being here and for listening this morning God be with us all Let's pray. Living God, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, incarnated in the world in Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, let us behold your glory. We open our hearts to you and ask that you would speak to us at this time. Speak to us as your people here, who are part of Grace Community Church. Lord, we give you permission to correct us where we might be in error. We ask that you would strengthen us where we are weak. And if I may say, Lord, we ask that you would weaken us if we are boasting in our own strength. I pray you would soften our hearts if they have become calloused or hard. And I really pray that you would delight us with your very self if we have grown apathetic or bored. May your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path during these times. All for Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.